Please open your copies of God's Word to Romans and chapter 8, please. Romans and chapter 8. And we will read a middle portion of uh, this chapter. So Romans 8 and commencing our reading at verse 14, please. Romans 8 and verse 14. Hear the word of the living God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that is, creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but right by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not... Then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, 
who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Amen. And may the Lord bless the public reading of his word to each and every one of us this evening. And the, the text for the preaching of God's word this evening is taken from verses 28 and 29, which we will read once again after a short prayer. Let us pray, please. Again, Lord, we confess and give thee thanks. We confess that this has been an honor and a privilege to hear thy speaking voice in thy word. We thank thee for speaking to us. And now, Lord, as the word is to be opened more, that we may receive from thee grace to have those stiff necks that we so often have, to have them softened by our God, that thy spirit will come and soften those necks and to bless our understanding that we may receive and take it in. And Lord, and to enlarge our hearts to receive all that thou would say to us, that we would uh, receive from our God and Heavenly Father those words of comfort, those words of challenge, those words of rebuke and instruction, whatever it is that Thou would say to us. And Thou would grant unto me all that I need to preach by the power of Thy Spirit, with that unction from heaven granted, I pray Thee, O God, and Lord, that we would all be edified and Lord, that even those who are outside the kingdom of Christ, even tonight, may be irresistibly drawn into it, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the everlasting light. Hear as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verses 28 and 29 of Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. sanctification. Difficult word, so difficult I could barely get it past my teeth and lips. Sanctification, what does that mean? It's one of these large words that you... And maybe ask the children, you've heard the word sanctification maybe? It's a big word, it's probably very difficult to spell if you're very young, and maybe even a challenge if you're a wee bit older. But the word itself is a long word, and it might seem quite abstract, now there's another word to be unpacked and it seems like a very big and distant and complicated word 
But what it simply means, that, that sanctification is the process of making someone holy. In fact, in that word, the beginning of that word, we have the Latin word sanctus, where we get the word saint from. In other words, God takes a sinner and turns them into a saint. Now, of course, we're not talking about uh, the nonsense that the Roman Catholic Church, the blasphemous nonsense that the Roman Catholic Church preaches regarding saints, but we're talking the truth, that is, the people of God who have been saved from their sins, filled with the Spirit of God, and have a holy and pure and perfect eternal future. But that must begin somewhere. That must begin somewhere, and it does begin by conversion. And then that process of being made holy and more holy uh, continues on uh, in the life, for the whole course of the life of the saved sinner. It is a non-stop process. Now, there may be times when there seems to be great increase, times when it plateaus out, there may be times of backsliding when it certainly dips down, but there is in general to be uh, an improvement in holiness. And as I said, it is the work of the Holy Ghost. So even though your sins, when you are converted by God, are all forgiven you and are covered in the blood The sinful nature is, unfortunately, still very much alive. The flesh, as the the Bible would call it, the old man of the flesh, again another term, that that sin is still in there. And that sin, the believer, the new believer, must learn to control it. And not just to control it, but that is certainly the first step. But he must also crucify it. And that's like, again the language of Scripture. So in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ, with our sin laden upon him, is nailed to the cross, and as he dies, that sin dies under God's wrath, so then we personally, in a, in a, in a, obviously not in such a physical way, but in, 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 a, in a biblical way, we must see that our own sin is crucified. We must see more and more as Christ died for our sin that our own sin ebbs away, is no longer visible. So it does begin with self-control. It it does begin, and of course that is a grace of God. We see God help, help me with this, help me with this this temper, with this tongue, help me with, with, with that worldly desire, or whatever it may be, the mixture of things that it can be. But that needs to be crucified. So the new, the new man then, the new soul, the new born again you, at the rebirth, at conversion, needs to learn the ways of a holy God. Needs to learn the ways of a holy God. And so how do you learn those ways? Well, maybe you've been coming to church for many years, and you've heard the teaching, and you understand, oh, this is, these are the standards of God. But now with your eyes open because you were dead in trespasses and sins, and you had been blinded by the God of this world, that is by Satan and by your sin, but now your eyes have been opened, the Lord has saved you and converted you, you now look at God in a completely different way, you look at sin in a completely different way, and then you're able to be sanctified, to be purified, not to be a sin-dead Pharisee with rules and regulations, but to be changed by God to his glory. So you have to learn to know and come under the means of grace and learn 
and, and get to know what, what God wills that his people should be and what type of children of his they are to be. But just like real children, Christians can be stubborn. All Christians can be stubborn and can be disobedient and often will not simply learn from the Word of God. Those who are parents will know there are times when you can't just ask once and they say, yes, Daddy, and then they do it. And sometimes they need more, they need more encouragement and need more nagging even or even punishment for outright disobedience. And so, just like real children uh, being stubborn and disobedient, the Lord can bring us into difficulties. And maybe in that way we expose ourselves to those difficulties by our disobedience. We open up breaches in our own wall and allow, as it were, the enemy to come in. We can look at it like that. And just think of a, of, a, of a medieval city that had big walls around it with towers at various points. Now, if part of that wall collapses, you need to build it and fill it in very quickly. You leave it open before you know it. You've got, the, you've got your enemies coming in through that break, that breach in the wall. And so, therefore, the Lord does bring us into difficulties to chastise us. Because he is a good father and he knows that sometimes that's the only thing that will work. Sometimes it's the only thing that will work. Other times, there can be a sweet devotional truth in the Word, and it melts our heart. But other times, the Lord must take a stronger, stricter dealing with us. And He does it because it's needed. Because we are His children. And He knows how His children are to behave, and to speak, and to think, and to desire that they would bear fruit. Pleasing unto Him. And so he chastises us to make us learn from the difficulties and through the difficulties. It's not often our first prayer, Lord, remove the difficulties. But often the way of the Lord is to carry us right through them. Else we would never learn. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a terrible, scary problem, and we want to run in that direction, but we would learn nothing except how to run quickly. But the Lord would bring us to the point of these uh, problems. And, and as we're praying, Lord, remove them. It would carry on bringing us through them. And that can be a short time. That can be a long time. But the Lord does that not because he is mean, but because he knows that's the only way to deal with us. And in the verses that we're examining today, it is specifically, I mean there are more reasons, but there is a specific reason given to us why the Lord brings such tests into our lives. And it is essentially this, so that each and every one that calls upon the name of the Lord as their saviour is to be personally transformed and changed to become more like this saviour Lord. He sends the Lord Jesus Christ to earth and to be that glorious and wonderful example. And he saves all these sinners so that they too, by the powerful work of the Holy Ghost, would become more and more like this glorious and sinless Jesus Christ. So the title of the message this evening with the Lord's gracious help is Being Conformed to Jesus. Being Conformed to Jesus. And firstly, we see as we open up verse 28, is the awareness that brings great comfort. Because of the knowledge 
the truth that brings great comfort, the awareness that brings great comfort uh, to all of God's people. Romans 8 and 28, and which child of God has not been comforted by this text? And if it's the first time you've read it, may the Lord bless it to you and be a continuous comfort to you. Romans 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things work together for good to them that love God. This is a great comforting truth. And may the Lord cause you to even remember and meditate upon these texts. All things. So nothing is outside of these all things. All your experiences, all the things that you've heard, all the things you've gone through. Or your friends and your family or whatever it might be. All things work together for good because firstly, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. You may not know what that word sovereign means. It's a word that's used for various things. But sovereign really means that you rules over all things. The Lord is the ruler of all things. He controls all things. He knows all things. And therefore he is sovereign. Another expression that describes God being a sovereign is king of kings and lord of lords. Now that's maybe easier to take hold of. He is the king of every king. He's the lord of absolutely every lord. He tells the lords. He tells the kings. He turns the kings' hearts. Now these kings may be wicked kings. These, these lords might be terrible dictators. But they're not free from the control and the power of God. He may permit them to do their evil way. But all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And all things work together for good because... God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. He knows everything and he controls everything. And anything that does happen uh, that seems that is contrary to him, he permits to happen. But even that he has decreed. Every difficulty in your life, you think about your life, you may have a short life, you may, you may only be uh, knee-high to a grasshopper and only have a few months or a few years uh, to your name. Uh, you may have many decades to your name. You may be, you may be uh, pensioned off, you may be at an extreme age in comparison with others. But we all have difficulties. There are various difficulties in life that we are to undergo. And, and as I said, many of them we'd like to flee, but they come on our path whether we want them or not. And what are those difficulties then? Well, difficulties with money, financial difficulties. And we know these days the cost of everything going up. Somebody's making great profits somewhere. But we are paying more and more for prices for absolutely everything, and that can cause much financial pressure and difficulties. What about relational difficulties that you have within a family or elsewhere? And these are difficulties, that these are not easy, especially relational difficulties, because relationships touch you on the inside. And when the entire inside is touched by difficulties and relationships, we notice that on the outside, in the body. What affects the emotions and the heart often affects the body. Difficult things can hurt us deeply. What about physical difficulties, health problems? And we've considered one or two in the prayers, but you'll know of yourself. Uh, health difficulties are very difficult in life. Whatever they might be, 
And especially if you don't know what the problem is, and then you have to wait for the test or for the scan, and then you wait for the results of the test and the scan, and, and all that time you're thinking, it, well, it could be the worst. This could be the cancer that is my death penalty, or whatever it is. And, and, and then what happens? Well, it might be good news, it might be bad news. These are great difficulties that we have in life that the Lord sovereignly brings upon our path. These do not surprise God. God is not surprised by them. God is not, God is not shocked by them. God is not the author of them. But God has decreed them. And that's not contradiction. Because God is sovereign. God permits that these things will happen. He permits that they will happen. And even political problems, if you look at a larger scale, and then when there are wars and, 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 and other difficulties that we have, the Lord is sovereign over every single one. Things that are close by, things that are far off, the Lord is sovereign over the situation in the Ukraine. Does that mean the Lord is pleased with all these people that die and, and, and all the geopolitics that's happening between Russia and essentially the rest of the world? No, he's not pleased by it, if we understand God from the Scriptures, but he permits these things. And even within that, all things are working together for good to them that love the Lord. So the Christians who are in Ukraine, and what about the atheists, who are then brought to the end of themselves because their village has been bombed out, they've seen what's happened to their own family, and that's the time that the Lord causes them to call upon the name of the Lord. Another one gathered into the kingdom of Christ. All things working together for good. I know it seems to be a complete mess, the world, and it is. It is a complete mess. We make a mess of things. Each and every one of us. We make a mess of relationships. We make a mess of, of our life and, and all these other matters. We make a mess of our religious life with Christ. But the world itself is so out of God and under the power of Satan. It is a complete and immoral mess. But the Lord is sovereign over each and every aspect of it. And so bringing it now to a more personal understanding with the devil... And of course, therefore, the world and our sinful nature would, would try to use problems for our destruction. Isn't it amazing to think that your own nature would love to destroy you? Your own physical, fleshly, carnal nature would love to destroy the born-again you. And it's true. It's true. It's the lament of Paul in Romans 7. And the devil, the world, and your flesh would love to destroy you and, make a, a, and, and bring these problems, or have, when the problem occurs, to then use it against you. And your haters and your enemies that look for your downfall would be against you, and yet all of these things can be confounded. Because the Lord is absolutely sovereign. If I may use this and use this term carefully, because the Lord is the ultimate chess player. It's not that he can see two or three moves ahead. He has determined the complete moves of the whole game from eternity. Again, nothing is surprising him who has determined it all. He has determined that there were wicked people in the world. He has determined all sorts of matters. And they are all responsible for their own sin. He has also determined that. But he determines every move well in advance. This is what we call the eternal decrees of God. And then God, as we come into these many difficulties in life, and as God is pleased to bless them to us, and this is what this verse is really speaking about, 
that God will bless difficulties and challenges and hardships and heartbreaks. He will bless them to his people, to his children. So that Paul could then write, and we know that all things work together for good. It will be an opportunity. It will be something that will work in us and work in our lives when the Lord is pleased to bless these things to us. To us and they will do us good. They will do us good, as the Lord says, and how much better it is then to submit ourselves under the hand of Almighty God when he brings these things into our lives. To trust him in the persecution and the affliction. To trust him in it. And even as James says, to count it all joy. We don't necessarily feel it to be all joy, but to count it as a source of joy in our Christian walk. The Lord is changing me, the Lord is cleansing me, the Lord is improving me. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, James 1 and verse 2. That word temptation, meaning tests of all sorts, including temptation to sin. So we see that, the sov- that God is sovereign, the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> but see whom that, whom, to whom specifically that is applied to? Who have this great blessing? Who have these difficulties in their lives and in their environment and in their families? Who have these difficulties that then God uses to bless them? To bless them. Well, who is that? Well, that's the beloved of God. The beloved of God. Those that receive the sovereign blessing are those that love God unconditionally. That's what it says here in verse 28. To them who, uh, for good, to them that love God. Again, that agape love. That unconditional love. And if your love towards God is not unconditional, and I've hinted at it already, you cannot receive the blessing fully. Because your condition of your love and your obedience to God is based on the nice things that he brings into your life. And then when you pray that these bad things will be removed, and he doesn't remove them, then there's resistance. Resistance. And we don't remember quite easily that we cannot resist the living God. But what we do is we do not receive the blessing of the trial. We do not receive the blessing of the trial because we're too busy fighting against the Lord and, as it were, praying that the Lord would remove it, remove it. I don't want it, I don't want it, and don't want it. And the Lord's saying, here it is, I'm giving it to you. It's what you need. It's that bitter medicine that the child is moving the spoon out of the mom's hand. So I don't, I don't want that. It's horrible, it's bitter, but it's good for you. They don't want it. And a good mom will carry on until every drop has been drunk from that spoon. It must be given, it must be received, it must be drunk down deeply that it would do us good. Is it bitter? Yes, it is. Sometimes very bitter, sometimes very difficult. And the only way to receive it is by loving God unconditionally. Father, whatever thou bringest upon my path, help me by thy grace to receive it, to accept it, to humble myself before it. And so those that love God, we've we've already applied what I wanted to say, but they love God, they love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And maybe only 1% of each of those. But the change is, by conversion, that now they now desire to do that. They now desire to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
And they love God's word. They love God's commandments. They love God's church. They love God's worship. They have a genuine and heartfelt love towards the one true and living God as he revealed to us in the scriptures. And they truly love and obey God. Why? Because God first loved them. It's an echo. It's an answer. It's an answer to God's mercy and love in Jesus Christ that the, that the sin-dead sinner that loves sin and hates God is fleeing from God still as Adam did in the garden. And yet he's enabled by grace to give that answer. And it's a very small flame. Sometimes it may only be like a little spark. But it is an answer. It's an answer to, to the love of God that is given to them. This love, the answer to the, to the mercy and the kindness and the grace that is being given to you, sinner, in the gospel. Offered to you in the gospel call and then received by you by faith. And so, therefore, let us now understand what he's saying. So, to those who have received the love of God and return that love in obedience to him, God ensures that everything in life, everything in life, will become a tool in his hand for our good, for our changing, for our humbling, for our learning, for our increase in faith, for our development, for his glory. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. The awareness that brings great comfort. Secondly, the truth that must humble us. The truth that must uh, humble us. And we see that in the second part of verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And then he describes them again. It's the same people, it's the same group. It says, those that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. God has called you. He's spoken to you. He's called you out of your sin. From the, in the word of God and in the preaching, and as the Holy Spirit applies that word to you, God has called you out of his sin. He's called you to love him and to love his people. He has called you to learn obedience. He has he's called you to learn to deny yourself. And those last two points are very much connected with all that the Lord would teach from verse 20 or something. The core of what the Lord would teach from verse 28 and 29. And, and therefore this then, God wants to focus on you. Now that's, well, that's highly flattering to the flesh of course. But that's not what the Lord means. Let me give you an example. If you were to have a garden... It's full of weeds and brambles and the grass is overgrown and there's a big pile of broken branches in one corner. It's a complete mess. The path is grown over. It doesn't look as it good, but you do nothing on it because you're too busy looking over the fence. And you can see your neighbor's garden. You can see that those nasturtiums have broken, that he wasn't careful where he walked. You can see that the, the, the grass has not been mowed in nice stripes as it, as it should be and you think that, that should be better. You can, you can see all of these things that are wrong with your neighbor's garden and the more you're focusing on the, on the neighbor's garden, the more you see the difficulties, the more you see the faults and the failings. And are not turning back to have a look at your own garden. The more you critically look at others, the less you will critically look at yourself. 
but the Lord wants us to critically look at ourselves. Else that mess of a backyard will never be dealt with. And that's what we're responsible for under God. That's what he's given us. He's given us. He's given us our souls and our bodies. He's given us new life. And now he wants that life to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. No, the Lord wants us to look very critically at ourselves for there's still much to be done in our own garden. So God has called you. He's called you to himself. And secondly, God has a purpose for those he calls. And he's going to go into more detail in verse 29. To them who are the called according to his purpose. God has an eternal purpose and plan for absolutely everybody. And if we just talk about those that love God and are the called according to his purpose, then we'll say this, that includes the date and time of your conversion. That has been determined it's part of God's plan. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing needs to change that. It can't be changed. And that includes things like the, the, where, where you live and the spouse you marry. That includes how many children the Lord may grant you with. Includes your health, your wealth, the length of your life, short or long. All these things. Includes any service or ministry that you may have unto the Lord, whether for a short time or for a longer period. Whatever it is, the Lord has a purpose and a plan for everyone. And there are many, many details that the Lord has planned that vary from Christian to Christian and country to country, culture to culture, time to time, what he needs and desires for his church, for his people, individually for his own beloved believer. And they vary. There are many details that vary. And yet we will see that there is one single and unifying common reason why God has saved you. One core reason. And we could describe that in various ways. But we'll let verse 29 do that for us. Having seen the awareness that brings great comfort, the truth that must humble. And thirdly, the purpose of your salvation. This one purpose that all believers share. We may have different accents, different languages, different appearances, different colours. But this is the one unifying thing. It says in Romans 8 and verse 29, Then for whom he did foreknew, foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So not only has God, through the gospel, brought to you to know and to embrace his Son, Jesus Christ, but he has predestinated you to conformity. Predestinated means from all eternity, he has given you this destiny. And if you know anything about destiny, destiny is not, is not some sort of choice. Destiny is, is made for you, and you cannot break free of this destiny. And believer, why would you want to break free of this glorious destiny? What we're looking at this evening, this conformity is to the image of his Son. Not that the Lord is looking for us to be unthinking clones of Jesus Christ. By any means, let us reason together, the Lord says. The Lord wants us to, with our own understanding and our own, and our own will and our own desires to, to, to have this life with him and for him. 
But there is so much that needs to be dealt with. The Bible talks about what God's plan is. is not just to make a, a, a group of saved people who are still laden under sinful uh, behaviors and still act like anybody in the world would. But he wants them each and every one, without any exception, to be conformed to the image of his Son. If you've got a... <clears throat> if you have a template, a template that needs to draw out a particular shape on metal, and so you put that template on there, and you're very careful in drawing out the shape that it gives you, and then you're very careful in cutting it out, you can then say that this shape that I've cut out is conformed to the template... Christ is the template, and we are all to be conformed to him. It is the desire, the plan, and the purpose of the Father for all them that love him, all them, therefore, that declare that they love him, are to be conformed uh, to Jesus Christ. So it's not just, therefore, Christ as God's only begotten Son, as the Father's only begotten, who is to be uh, sinlessly perfect, who is to be kind, meek, loving, generous, merciful, and obedient, never saying a mean word, never having a mean thought, never gossiping, never slandering, and so forth, and so forth. But the Father wants all of his children to be exactly like Jesus Christ. Meek, kind, loving, sweet and tender and as lovely as Jesus is. Of course, the bride that he bought with the blood of Christ needs an awful lot of work. But he shall succeed. He shall succeed because he's sovereign over this also. He's sovereign over the sanctification of his people. Although he gives... He gives responsibility also to his people, as we'll look at as we move forward. The Father wants all of his children. You say you're a child of God by God's grace. You're a child of God because you've been saved by the gospel. Well then, know this, that the Father has a purpose that you would become more and more and more conformed to the image of his Son and as I said, there is much that needs working on, and therefore it's a lifelong improvement project for the Lord. Each and every one of his children. Think of a broken and damaged piano. Fortunately, that's not the case here. But imagine this piano then, and it's, it's wonky. One of the casters, the wheels, has fallen off. Some of the panels have come off. The strings are out of tune, and some have, have, have broken. Uh, many of the hammers which are inside to make, them, make the music are, are missing that is rot in some of the wood and some of the panels are broken off and the furniture is, uh, the furn uh, varnish, sorry, and the varnish is in terrible state. It's, 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 it's breaking off. It's essentially ready for the scrap heap and ready for the fire. That's a picture of you and me. Picture of you and me. This is not what the Lord's will was for his people. And yet by sin, there is deep corruption and rot and damage. Like a broken down piano. So much, so much damage there is to it that any reasonable person would say, throw it out. But God is pleased to have mercy upon those that he has chosen from all eternity. 
God in his mercy desires to save that piano from the fire and to work on that piano. Not everything in one go, that would be too much. So much of what the Lord wants to do in sanctification is that we would understand it and live through it. That it would do us good, that we would understand it and then we can comfort others. We can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted. And because we understand God's work in our lives, we can give him the due glory. The due glory and the due gratitude. So saving that piano and he wants to restore fully that piano, replace its broken parts. Revarnish it, repolish it, make it as perfect as the perfect Steinway piano, his son. Glistening, beautiful, musical. And why do we not see that in every Christian? Why do we miss much of that in our own lives? Because it is God's will that that happens. Would it be disobedience? Yes. Disobedience to God's word is certainly a cause of it. Being rebellious against him. How can the Lord then bless these difficulties to us if we're so full of disobedience? Are we resistant to being humbled? I think that's also a case. Very resistant to being humbled by God and therefore not submitting to the trials. But the trials are God's tool to reshape you, to remold you, to rework you, to make you work again, to fix you. And if we do not submit to the trials, then we find ourselves working against God Almighty. And the one example I gave before is being critical of others instead of being critical of yourself. Biblical self-examination, I mean. Not just a low self-esteem and a self-loathing. I'm speaking of upright biblical self-examination. And this is a core of true lived Christian faith. This is the very essence of it. That the Lord desires to see fruit. Fruit in our lives. And that's why the Lord brings us into these tests and these trials. But what we find and understand from these verses is that these trials and tests are never wasted upon the believer. They're used by God. They're used by the Lord to bring us into conformity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that truth is revealed again and again and again in Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. And that text, therefore, reveals to us how necessary these things are, uh, these trials, these tests, for our own sanctification. We could say, for our own Christ-likeness. So important that you would grow up not only believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants his children to be like Jesus. When you read the scriptures, especially when you read the Gospels, you see that Christ is very forthright, but also very compassionate. He's very patient. He's very kind and he's very tender. He's all those things that we read of 
in Galatians as being the fruit of the Spirit. And we won't go into those at the very moment. But you would do good to read those in Galatians. I suppose we might want to say what's, what's, what's a helpful thing to consider when we're in the course of life and then the old man of the flesh comes up with the old habitual uh, uh, sinful habits and um, what would stop us? Well, there's a phrase that's been going around Christianity for a couple of decades. Unfortunately, it's misapplied. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? But people use that practical uh, Christianity, as it were, to make theology. Say, what would Jesus do? Jesus, I think, would do, I think he would do this. Well, we know what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do that we might understand how our Heavenly Father, Jesus as Heavenly Father, and our Heavenly Father would have us behave? So we see what Jesus did. But also we see what Jesus said. And again, that brings us to the word. How did Jesus behave? Yes, to the religious hypocrites. He can be very clear. But to the weak, to the unsure, to the insecure, he could be very tender and very patient. But he also expected much from his own disciples. They had been in the university of Jesus Christ for three and a half years, uh, ultimately, and he expected them to understand many things, and yet they were slow. But they should have known better. And then we get a strictness of Christ. To those that should know better, that have a position, have an authority, and therefore they should know better. And he rebukes them. Doesn't reject them, though. He rebukes them. I think also a thing to be thought of when we're considering how am I being to be conformed to Christ? What am I about to do or say? And we have so many excuses. We have so many excuses when it comes to sin. Is this. Will this please Jesus? Will this please him? He says that he's with us all the days of our life. So he's sitting down and drinking the coffee while you're gossiping with the neighbour. Does this please Jesus? Is he pleased with this? Or to bring it back to the direct context of, the, of, of our text, is my heavenly Father looking at me and thinking that's exactly what Jesus would do? And these are things to consider, very practical ways of considering. But of course you must pray for it. You must pray for it. That the Lord would enable you to be conformed to the image of his Son. Why? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So Christ there, he is the glorious firstborn and only begotten of God. With all of his redeemed. And day in and day out and day by day, they're all becoming slowly more and more sanctified, more and more holy. There is more and more of God's glory to be seen in their mouth and in their thoughts and in their deeds till the day that Christ returns and fulfills all things in himself. And then finally we come very briefly as we've considered uh, these truths of the awareness that brings uh, great comfort, etc. 
is the reality for everyone else. We've only been talking about those who are the those that love God unconditionally and are the called according to his purpose. What about everybody else? Because that's not the whole of humanity. That's not everybody who has ever lived. Or therefore we may understand from this, from what we've learned just very, very briefly from what we've learned, is for those that do not love God, firstly, it teaches us that if you do not love God, you hate God. The Bible is terribly black and white about love and hate. You might say, well, I don't hate God, do you love God? Well, if you love God, have you obeyed the gospel? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you seek to serve him? Not out of your own strength, but out of his glorious strength. Because if you don't love him, then the Bible says you hate him. And that means you're in a very dangerous place for your soul. doesn't matter how religious you are and how often you read the Bible, or the Bible's read, or you come to church, if you have not repented of your sin and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you love God, therefore, therefore you are God's enemy. But God is merciful and gracious and keeps on bringing you under the preaching of the gospel. So it means that you don't love God, but it also means this, that nothing works for your good. So the difficulties that they have in life, the pain and the disease and the financial difficulties and the broken relationships and everything else that's in your life will not be for your good. It will actually be used by God for your judgment. Because in those difficulties you have not got on your knees and pleaded with God for help. And if you have done, you've done it as a hypocrite because it's sin is your big problem. Not that financial debt and not that situation with your boss and not that relational uh, issue with, with, with your neighbor. It's ultimately sin. And therefore nothing works for good because you're under God's curse and wrath. You don't love God. All things are against you. Even though you may have wealth and good things in this life, God says, well, I've given that much and it's going to stop at death. Because there's been no gratitude for it. There's been no humility by it. There's been godlessness and hate. Also, you have not answered God's call. We read here about the call of God to them who are the called according to his purpose. You have not answered the gospel call. You're hearing it tonight and you've heard it other times, no doubt. That God is good and righteous and you are not. And God is a righteous judge and you are a sinner and therefore you will be judged for all your sins. And God's call goes out to sinners to repent of your sin and to come to Jesus Christ. God does not want your self-righteous stinking works. He doesn't want your self-righteous religion. He wants your sin that you cast upon him as you repent of it and believe on the one saviour that he has sent. He has not sent Buddha or Muhammad. He has not sent a philosophy. He has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you answered that call? And finally, you still bear the image of sin. You still have the image of sin in you. It's scarred your, your soul. 
It has scarred your life, it scars your words and your thoughts. Sin is what you look to. You might say, well, I'm not terribly immoral. Well, the Bible says all that is not of faith is sin. You say, well, do you have faith then? No. Well, that's sin. All that is not of faith is sin. Because essentially you're saying to God, I I don't need Jesus. I can live my life the way I want to. I might have a bit of religion to shush my conscience. But I don't need Jesus. Don't need the gospel. Don't need to repent and believe. Do not need to humble myself before God. I'm all right. And then you found by God and his righteous judgment to be trampling upon the blood of Jesus. No, you may not be the world's uh, most famous and most worst decadent sinner. But you are a sinner in debt to God and God's wrath is upon you. And so, some of those promises that we've seen tonight, that all the difficulties and problems of life to those that love the Lord, to those who are the called, and if you answer the gospel call, you are the called, that all those things will work for you when you come to Jesus Christ. That's not the reason to come to Jesus Christ, but these are glorious truths that you have when you come to Jesus Christ. You must come to Jesus Christ because of your sin, because of your hatred against God, because of your love of sin, that you would be forgiven, that you would be cleansed, that you would have peace with God. That is the reason, f- that is the reason why God would call you from the gospel. But then having saved you, this is what God wants to do in your life. Not only save you by Christ, but make you look, smell, speak, think, and desire more and more like Christ. That Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren, and for which God will receive all the glory. Hallelujah and Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank Thee for the Word of God. We thank Thee for speaking to us from it. We pray, Lord, that Thou will bless it to us. Please do so. Please do not allow the devil, as it were, to come and pick out the seed of the Word from our hearts. But, Lord, will Thou water it by Thy Spirit even now, that it would take hold, that Thou would help us, O God, to take seriously Thy Word. And, Lord that we might know more and more of the sanctification unto Christ-likeness, that indeed we would be the beloved children of light. O Lord, hear thou our prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.